If you're in construction, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the Constructed Behaviors Podcast. I'm your host, Barb Allen. I'm a woman with decades of experience in the construction industry, and most of it on the job site. I know how rewarding this industry can be, but like you, I also know that we could improve. Let's work together to make changes from the inside out. with me, Jen Stockwell. Jen has only been in construction for six years, but I think you're going to be surprised at what she has accomplished in that short time. Jen was one of the first women to respond to my call for podcast guests, wanting women to share their story of how they got into the construction industry. After receiving her request, I did a little internet search to learn more about her, and I came across three things in particular that really caught my attention. But before I go into those, I simply want to welcome Jen to the Constructive Behaviors Podcast. Hi, Jen. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Okay. So are you interested to know what three things stuck out the most to me when I internet stalked you? Yes. I'd love to know. (laughs) What did you find? (laughs) Okay. First is your amazing style. Like I am obsessed with your design style. And I say that as I'm sitting at my own Scandinavian modern table. So I may be obsessed with your design style because it's similar to mine, but you clearly know how to bring it to life. I wish you were in Kansas City. (laughs) Well, we work with clients all over the country. Okay. That's good to know. That's good to know. Okay. Second thing I noticed was your confident and straightforward personality. So this was clear to me in the first two sentences that I read on your website. And so if you go to Jen's website, stockwell-homes.com, and there will be link in the show notes to her website, there is a page that has a pic of her and a man on what appears to be a boat. There's water in the background, not, not totally sure where you were, but Under the photo, it basically says, and I'm totally paraphrasing here, but it says, this is my adorable husband, and he is not the owner of Stockwell Homes, nor (laughs) is he even in the home building business. And I loved that. I, I love that. I totally resonated with it. And I think so many women listening to the podcast can resonate with that as well. And so I totally want to make sure we talk about that later. That was a brilliant, I think it was part of a blog that you did. Yeah. Uh, It was brilliant. Uh, Okay. And the third thing that really stuck out to me is where I really want to start today is that you own your own home design and construction management company. And yet your degree is in music. Yes, that's correct. That's crazy. So that's where I want to start. Walk the listeners through your story of getting into construction and how you went from a music degree to a construction industry business owner? <laughs> um, sure. Well, I'll do my best. Um, yeah, I wrote that blog post for Women's History Month last year. And because I um, I think, well, when we were chatting before this, I told you, but we have been in the, pro- I well, shouldn't say we, I have been in the process of trying to crawl out from under a rock this year, this calendar year, because we have really accomplished a lot in six years. But one of the things we've never really invested in is any marketing or press opportunities of any kind. And almost our entire business has been has grown word of mouth, which has been amazing. Um, but I also realize in in kind of analyzing all of our um, content online and on social that I really 
have stayed off of the camera, so to speak, on a lot of our historical work. And it's um, my own fault that perhaps it's not my own fault, but I get it a lot that people say, well, is Stockwell Homes? Oh, it must be your husband's company or, oh, it must be, are you a husband and wife team? So I decided to sort of hit the nose on the head as it were, just address the elephant in the room with a pretty focused blog post about my origin story and about the fact that it is, it's okay in 2023 for a woman to be a remodeler and to be a business owner in the construction sphere. Um, because it is uncomfortable. I think it does surprise people. Should it? No, or we can all have our own opinions about that. But um, but it is a, a, something I wrestle with pretty much every day um, as I come and go in the world. So my origin story, yeah, I started, I went to St. Olaf College in Northfield, Minnesota um, as my sort of jump away from the state of Iowa, the, the great state of Iowa that I grew up in, Eastern Iowa. Um, I just needed to get out of out of the state and I loved music. I had sung in the Allstate Choir in Iowa for Anton Armstrong, their conductor, wow. and toured their campus, fell in love and decided I just really wanted to study music. Um, it's a really rigorous program at St. Olaf and I'm really, really stubborn. Um, and so even though most of the freshmen who come to campus who think they want to study music end up dropping out within six months or the first semester, I said, well, damn it, I'm sorry to the lister, like, I'm going to stick this out. You know, like this is not for the faint of heart, but I also really want to see it through. And I think this is um, a worthy goal. So I went ahead and finished that degree. I had a second degree also that was basically a combination of philosophy and religion, um, and some psychology added in. It was kind of an interesting degree program that they had there. But um, anyway, as I got to be closer to my senior year of college, I started to realize like, hmm, I am certified to drive a taxi cab or deliver pizza. And that's about, or teach music, vocal music. But I really had no intention of doing that as a profession, even though I love the, the world of music and I had gone very deep in it. Um, and so I was anyway, fortunate to find, um, become great friends with a woman named Heather Shivey, who's now an amazing attorney out East. Um, and she and I got to be very good friends. She was a feminist. Um, I was a feminist. We were kind of both coming out of reactionary stories from our upbringings that really shaped our lens and our understanding of the world. And, um, she had, it was her idea, not mine. She had this brilliant vision to start a, young women's magazine. Um, and this was in the year 2004, I think when she had the original idea um, and she started doing some preliminary legwork and dreaming and shaping of what this magazine could look like. But the whole genesis of the thing was um, a vision to take back the media, which has historically painted women as Barbies and as um, a certain type of role in a secretarial administrative role or being objectified only for their beauty that is very much skin deep and um, to give them a voice to give these same young women who are so objectified by the media a strong platform to be able to share their inner selves their inner lives their inner dreams their inner thoughts and their true beauty, right? And their true force of nature, right? And so that magazine was an incredible vision. We resonated deeply on, and I came alongside her to help um, with its foundation and formation. We set it up as a nonprofit um, and it was 
was and is, I think, still one of the best things I've ever done. Um, it was a, such a learning um, experience for all of us because, of course, none of us had ever done anything like this. We all had um, different strengths and abilities. I learned very quickly that I had some business savvy and some ability to kind of build and shape systems um, in that process and to help drive some of that infrastructure work while she had this visionary editorial mind. Um, and over the course of about seven years, we we hosted over 80 interns through this incredible program. They had came from all over the world, some of them. Um, I'm still in touch with some of these incredible women who are from France and from Germany and from all over the country wow. that actually came and worked with us in our little amazing little office in Northeast Minneapolis. Um, and we helped find them lodging and they came and honestly, they taught me so much. Um, so in a very short period of time, like we basically, we were publishing a bi-monthly uh, publication and it was all original artwork, original writing um, and created by and for young women. Awesome. It was an amazing, amazing, pro amazing magazine. Um, it was also set up as a nonprofit. And so I, in my role, was helping to create the board, manage the board of directors, and then fundraise to support the operation. Um, we basically defied gravity, to be honest, for <laughs> about seven years. And it was ultimately a really painful decision to close its doors. Um, we just couldn't sustain it. And we needed to be able to move, move on. But it was also an interesting time, historically speaking, um, and actually, so adding a blog to my own website was like a, I mean, sort of difficult decision internally for me to do because at the, the time that we were closing Alive's doors, it was due in part because of the rise of the blogosphere and the blogosphere giving people their own platform to put out into the universe, whatever they wanted to write and share right. with the world. And it's a beautiful thing. And that has happened. And it's obviously had incredible staying power and continues to drive so much of the search engine optimization and everything else that we get marketed from, right? Right. Um, anyway, all of that to say, I added a blog to my post or to my, to my website when I rebuilt it last year. And it was sort of with like a big groan in my heart of like, well, I guess I'm giving in to this. <laughs> but I'm also sort of enjoying it, to be honest, because like a podcast, I mean, a, a blog is such a nice way to be able to just be your authentic self with the world and without the vessel of a magazine to be able to put that out into the world and be in control of like I used to be right like this is just a really nice way I love to write and I love obviously to create beauty in the world but I also really love the client connections and the relationships that we make and it's a really natural place that doesn't have to be like on our own website most people are looking for the gorgeous finished images of the finished spaces, but it really skips over so much of the hard work of construction that gets completely edited out in that finished, polished gallery page, right? And so to be able to put the stories of our clients and why they decided to remodel their home, what their drivers were, the before pictures, the during pictures that are the gory 
scary, like, oh my gosh, what did you do to my house? You ripped it apart, <laughs> you know, like, or what? wow, you've oversprayed the walls with black paint. Like, you know, there's just like these kind of funny moments in construction where you're like, this is going to end up beautiful, but sometimes it's difficult to see. Yeah. And so to be able to share that, that work with the world, I think is also a little bit more of an honest representation of what it entails. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I skipped a lot. I, I That's okay. So how did you go? You, you guys shut down the magazine, you shut down the yeah. nonprofit. And yeah. how did that lead to starting your own construction uh, design company? Yeah. Well, I never dreamed of it, to be honest. Like that was pretty far, far away from anything that was in my own cognitive, like direction or goals for my life. Um, I found my way through, right? Like we all do, I guess we're all just bumbling along. So I went from the magazine to becoming the development director for the National Youth Leadership Council. Um, and so it was another wonderful national nonprofit that was looking for a development director and I fit the bill. And then anyway, I moved from there over to Children's Hospitals and Clinics in Minnesota, where I was on the development team um, as well. It's a much larger nonprofit childcare or not childcare, healthcare operation, children's healthcare operation. Um, in Minnesota, and it's one of the best um, in the in the region. So that was a really nice change. That was around the time I started a family, and so I really kind of took a step back from the leadership level role that I had prior previously been in. Both of those jobs, um, but at the same time, I was really kind of itching to do a lot more. I mean, I was kind of starting to burn out on fundraising and on nonprofits, and um, I still have a lot of mission like room in my heart, I think still, but in day-to-day -day working for, I was really starting to lose my steam. Actually, there was a, a really integral person, mentor in my life who had been involved early on in my alive days and who I had stayed um, kind of in touch with over the years. And she's a like a life, she became a life coach actually through her own evolution. Um, we went out for like lunch or dinner or happy hour or something at one point when I was really like puzzling over what to do. And I will never forget what she said to me, actually, because she was like, well, Jen, actually, I think this was when I was still at NYLC and I had built a lot there, but we were kind of in a sustaining mode of the operation. And it was when I was it was around the time I left. And she was like, Jen, you know, what I'm understanding is that like you in your personal life and your all the things you're doing on your home and in your life. She's like, whether it's in work or life, like you at your core are a builder. You're not a sustainer. You're a builder. And that's okay. You don't have to be both. Most people aren't. Some people really like to sustain things. Other people are really good at shutting things down. Yeah. Other people are really good at building things. And you are naturally gifted at just building. Anyway, but those words have like never left me because I mean, it wasn't even my next move to get into the construction industry, but I started to understand that part of myself better. So she had said that when I was still at NYLC, I then went on to work at Children's for a while. I also at the same time, so my husband and I had... Um, we owned a home in South Minneapolis and bless him. He puts up with me still on all of my crazy projects that are always underfoot. Um, and we had already put on a big, beautiful patio and a fireplace and stuff in our backyard and had done a whole bunch of landscaping work at that property. And we were kind of hitting the ceiling of like, how much improvement can you do to this the for the value of this home in its neighborhood? Right. 
Yeah. Um, and I was in a, in a, this was after I was at children's, I had been kind of shifted down into more of a status quo role. And I was really like antsy. And so we had wrapped up a lot of the projects on that house and we started talking and dreaming plus our family was growing about like, well, maybe we should buy an investment property. Maybe we should, so that I have something to do with all of this pent up energy and like yeah. desire to have projects. And, um, so we started looking, we worked with our realtor, same realtor again that we had used before, who is wonderful. Charlie Adair was his name. And he came along and, um, well, we started looking at properties. So we found this big diamond in the rough, I guess is the like cliche way to put it, but just like his cute, you know, real estate term for it is deferred maintenance. But <laughs> he is like, piece of shit. <laughs> like, like home that's not in good shape, like that has not been maintained well. Um, but it was in a high value um, area of the, t of the city, one of the most like desirable neighborhoods in the area. Um, and it was this giant, you know, fifties rambler. And of course I just fell in love and it backs up to a pond and some like a non-buildable lot of woods. And so it was just this beautiful, rough, totally overgrown, literally like siding falling off of the house and like hadn't been touched since 1957 and we decided to buy it. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, we decided. And so then I, because I used to do graphic design at the magazine and managed, learned that from that, those, those amazing women um, had the skills already to do a lot of design work, graphic design work. But so I picked up a, an entry level version of the same software I use now, Chief Architect Premier. Um, I picked up an entry level version of that to be able to like measure out and lay out this project, this home um, where we still are and did the architectural drawings and um, led the design work for that myself. And we then found a builder, you know, interviewed a, a builder or two and, and narrowed it down, hired somebody that we really trusted and thought this would be the right fit. Um, long story short, it did not go great. It was pretty horrific. Um, it, our project sat there. It was a structural rework. We relocated the kitchen. We put in all new windows, like floor to ceiling windows Yeah. Um, that required a lot of structural reinforcement of the envelope of the home and um, took out a structural fireplace that was 13 feet wide and kind of boxed up the layout. So we did all this work. Um, it ended up sitting, uh, there was just very poor communication between the owners of that company and us as the homeowners, we were not your typical homeowners, right? As clients sure. go, I grew up always having a project underfoot. My parents are both incredibly talented, always had a DIY project, but like off like DIY on steroids level projects going on at home when I was a kid. And so I helped re-roof our house when I was 12 and like laid a patio and did drywall, you know I mean? Like just like lots of different things that normal people hire out. Yeah. My dad and my mom were very passionate about being able to figure it out. And if you don't know how to do it, learn how to do it and then do it really, really well. And so I was just kind of exposed to that all the time. And that was my idea of normal. Um, so we were not normal clients. I wanted to know what kind of sound insulation we were having in the wall. And they said, well, we don't have sound insulation in your scope. And we said, well, we want sound insulation. And you know, and there was a lot of like little tidbits like that where they, you know, they kind of skipped over, frankly, a lot of the converse, the important planning and discussion about what we wanted yeah. and just gave us a price tag and a build and demoed the house and got into it. Right. And it was 
really horrifying. I mean, we just felt so vulnerable. Like here we have moved our family, like so we, we were in the process of selling our house, moving into this one that's ripped apart and there's no communication. Our, the trust is gone, you know, and all so many design decisions just never and details of the construction never got discussed before there was a contract signed. Yeah. And so that was our, and I mean, to add to the pressure cooker of it all, I was pregnant and like due in October, and this was supposed to be finished in May. Well, oh, it wasn't no. finished until October. And so it was a really stressful time. It was the most like stress our marriage has been ever put through. It was a very eye-opening experience, I guess. Um, so that, I mean, it was, we have a beautiful home. The project turned out beautifully. They did really lovely work. The The craftsmanship that came out of it was beautiful, but it was a very frustrating experience. Um, so I mentioned Charlie, the, the realtor who helped us acquire the property and our previous one, and he's a, a good friend. So between him and another girl, a good friend of mine who I had helped just kind of rethink some spaces in their home, over the years, the two of them, after they saw the finished work of what we did here, kind of independently of each other, came to me and were like, you know, Jen, people would pay you to do this. Like, you take so for granted that this is what people do, but it's not what people do. Right. And I was like, what? Sure it is. This is what <laughs> my people do, you know, like okay. literally my family shows up on Thanksgiving and like demos a wall and like helps get projects going, you know, yep. like that's what we do for each other. But that is not normal. And so that, um, it was those two people who Darcy Becker, Darcy Becker and, um, Charlie Adair, who really encouraged me to think critically about if this would be a potential profession that I could go down and explore that. So I ended up taking their advice to heart. Um, I put up some photos on like some local Facebook groups, mom groups, and like garage sale sites. And like, just like your average, like whatever communities groups, just put up a few photos of some, some of my own home and Darcy's home and our previous, you know, and just said, Hey, I'm thinking of starting a interior design firm. Is there any like need or desire for this type of service? Like, please reach out if you have any projects or whatever. And I had like 60 people reach out like within wow. two days. And I was like, absolutely floored. Um, so I was like, holy cow. And then separately, Charlie uh, approached me and wanted to work on purchasing a property and doing an investment. To, like he wanted to invest and have me lead the design and contracting work of, of a full flip. Um, and so between the two of like carrying sort of this, like dipping a toe and testing the waters of like carrying a client client load of projects um, and then working with him on this whole home reno. I mean, I just really took the leap and quit my job and said, okay, I'm just going to go for it. Um, and so I really, I intentionally, I was like, I am in over my head. This is not my, you know, I have a degree in music. Why is anybody trusting me with their home? This is insane. <laughs> um, but also like, I just really wanted to learn and I, I, I am a learner naturally, you know, I think generally that, um, that has served me well in my life to have an attitude of just always wanting to learn more and re appreciate and understand that you don't know everything and you can't yeah. know everything. And so as I kind of started moving through these projects and even working through that, that big, um, investment property project, you know, it was just learning from tradespeople, learning from homeowners, what are they looking for? What are their pain points? Um, what are, the things that I don't know enough about and I need to seek a little further continuing education or higher education to, to inform my own practice and my own business. 
and um, to build that portfolio. So I started small. I intentionally have grown very slowly um, or what felt, what has felt slow at times, but what has also felt like a fire hose situation at other times. Um, and yeah, we've really seen a lot. It's been amazing um, what what we've what we've done. So yeah, what you guys have have accomplished in six years is is crazy. It's it's amazing. And what I really love about your story, and I think is interesting, is in most in, in the industry. Um, I'm I'm from the commercial side, um, but in the industry as a whole, it typically men get promoted based on potential. Women get promoted based on proven performance. And I think that part of that is just the crappy old system. But I think part of that is also because women have this belief that they have to be good at something before they can really take it on. And Mm -hmm. you, you had dabbled in it, you had done some, it's not like you had no construction experience. I mean, you grew up participating in projects with your family and then you did some home projects but you and you had you had um excuse me you had a couple people come to you and say this could be a cool idea we think there's a market for this and I'm sure there was a lot more thinking put into it than what I'm about to say but you're like let's do this and I think that I honestly think 85 to 90% of women would not have done it. They would have said, okay, let me, let me go work for another company and uh, another remodeling company or a home builder somewhere. Let me get my feet wet. Let me really experience it. Um, and I just think it's so cool that, that you actually went and went and did it. And I think I would assume part of what was, um, what was a driving force for your confidence is the level of positions that you'd had in previous companies that helped you really understand how a business functions and how to do the financing. And granted, you're not doing fundraising for a business like this, but you had to under understand all of that with your other, your other positions. Um, so do, do you agree? Is that part of what you think built your confidence enough to be like, it's just a business, I either lose or I win or, but let me go try this. Cause I think that my heart says I want to do this. Yeah, I would agree with a lot of that. I mean, that my, I've had a, I've had an unusual career path and that's never really been lost on me, whether it was in my very first role at Alive, you know, when I was like creating this thing just pinching myself every day that we were getting to do this high level of work because in a normal career path, right? Even that, like you would have had to start and go work for as an intern and then you'd have to go work as an assistant editor and you might never get to write a piece or you would only be fetching coffee and for so, you know, kind of putting in the time, right? While you move through the ranks. And then to same, like move over to that, to the National Youth Leadership Council as a director level fundraising person, like, that was crazy. And only because it was a youth oriented organization where they interested in hiring someone so young and so frankly green, right? Like who knew some things when it was probably overconfident, you know, <laughs> but, but truly like willing to give that, um, give that opportunity to somebody because of their potential. And so I do think that a lot of that does resonate with me and it did directly, I mean, benefit my own like expertise and education on business operations, but also gave me confidence to do that. 
I also think I just have really encouraging people in my life, family and friends and frankly, clients. I mean, who, who, who have said, no, like this is, this is right. So like, you need to do this. This is who you are. That's awesome. Um, it's so important to have that support group because there are days when you doubt yourself, right? Like, what am I doing? And somebody else is like, exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Like, it's yeah. going to get better. Um, so do you have, do you have something that you would tell women to help them step away from the, I have to be good before I actually do it mentality? Um, yeah. I bet very much so that you already are incredibly good at whatever the thing is, right? Like you trust yourself, you know, I don't think, I don't think I give that advice lightly because I certainly like know what you don't know. I think that's as important as knowing what you do know. Um, but as long as you keep what you don't know <laughs> at the forefront as well, and don't get out of your lane or get lost in the deep end of something, right? Like, you're starting out, I'm starting out on a project and I'm building a bathroom for the first time ever. And maybe I've tiled a floor before, but I've never done the full gut on a bathroom on the very first time I did that with someone I had to lean on and I had to be willing to trust the tradespeople who have so much experience doing the work. And yes, I was doing the design work and I was referencing code and I was, you know, sourcing product and learning about the technology in that product and all like taking in, this is all stuff I can handle, right? But then it's like you get into it and you're like, but I don't at the time, don't know the first thing about waterproofing membranes and <laughs> uh, Red Guard and how you build a shower pan, a custom shower pan. But I learned that, you know? And so I showed up down the job site and I said, tell me what you're doing because I want to understand how, why we're doing what we're doing and how it works and how it ultimately improves the finished product. And I, I've been really lucky because- I don't, I also don't think a lot of people, homeowners or others, I mean, it just humans, like not everyone has a deep respect for crafts, like the trades people right. themselves and right. the craftsmanship um, and the experience that goes into that. And so, yes, I'm directing and I'm designing and I'm leading a lot of this construction work. And I do know how to do a lot of that. And I did know how to do some of that. And I know a lot more now than I did then. But I think as long as you kind of know, like, this is, you know, every time you're taking on a scope that's larger than the last one or different than the last one, right? Like you're having to ask the question of like, what, what do we know? And what don't we know? And when we don't know, who are we going to call? Who's going to be our trusted expert to help guide us yeah. and price that and, and lead that effort to make sure that we're building it well? And no matter what, especially in the world of remodeling, that is always going to be the case because you know two homes are this. Well, that's not true, but not many homes are the same. Right. <laughs> and the scope is never the same twice. That's right. true. You know. Well, and I think to summarize what you said is um, to get away from the I I don't have enough experience to move into this realm is is make a list of make a list of what you don't know yet because it is important to keep in the forefront of your mind. But don't neglect making the list of all the stuff that you do actually know how to do. And yeah. I think too many times we focus on what we don't know yet. And, mm -hmm. and so making that list of what we do know, and then maybe going back to the list of what you don't know and putting names next to it of people that you know who do know that stuff. These can be your trusted advisors. They can be your imaginary board of directors as you step into this new role or a new company or, or whatever that is. 
Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the other thing that um, I want to talk about is um, women going into construction in general. So you and I have similar stories that when we were younger, we were involved in some construction projects, uh, but yet our mind never went there, like that this was a career or this is something that we that we would want to do. And I think a lot of people say, and I've had a previous episode on this, that women don't want to work in construction. And I think that we are, one, that's, that's not true. I think people, a lot of women don't know about it, but there's, there's two limiting factors for that statement. One is that we're waiting for women to find this industry instead of announcing it to them and making sure people, women are aware of the opportunities that are out there. But two, I think that those of us who are looking to add women to the industry, we are limiting ourselves in the search by sticking to where women have traditionally come from. There are women that have come from small towns or farm families or their dad was in the business. And and when you look at just that group of women, it is a smaller, it's it's a much smaller representation than the 51% of women that are in the United States right now, right? Um, mm-hmm. And what I really love about your stories, it, 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 it ties to the creativeness. And I think that is a group of women that we really haven't, we haven't gone after yet is the creative women. The women that are either creative on paper, whether it's art, whether it's drawing, it's sketching, or the women that are creative with their hands, they like building things. These are women who like to make a difference. They're li- they like to make change. And introducing them to construction in a way that they're like, oh my gosh, I still get to make change and I get to make things and things come from what I draw or from what I build. And I think we as an industry need to start paying more attention to those young women or women that are out there in those creative fields and entice them to come check it out. Absolutely. I agree with that. My staff is all women currently. Um, and I grew this company a little bit sooner than I really planned on growing it. Um, COVID really kind of opened some weird, closed some doors and opened some doors and sort of pressure cookered the world. Right. Yeah. Um, but what was interesting is I had had several people in my network already that I had seen one person was the, um, the first, this just sort of worked itself out serendipitously, but because she is an, I, a woman who I used to work with, Laura, Laura Logie now is her last name. She used to work with me at that magazine years and years ago. And so we had stayed friends over the years. Um, and she had been a graphic design intern and worked with us for a while. And then, you know, she had bought a home in South Minneapolis and over the years, like, and I had stopped by to see it. And one of the first things she did after she bought it, you know, she was a single single woman at the time and she gutted the kitchen and she started redoing it all by herself, you know, and like hiring out, helping with some friends, like to put beautiful mercury mosaics tile into her kitchen. And she's pairing it with amazing wallpaper and paint color for her cabinets. And to see her creative energy put into that three-dimensional space she was like, in a, I mean, she had done graphic design for me, but she also has a, a um, fine art degree in sculpture and, and textile art. And so she is always weaving and sewing and creating beautiful things. And 
honestly, I mean, it's, it's a sort of a weird realization. I think that I had even myself prior to her coming on board was that the work that we're getting to do in this construction sphere, just as you said, is like almost the most, it's like using all of your art skills and creative energy in like its maximum capacity, right? Like, yeah. And then, and so she was, she, she was a career server because she was an artist and she was always sort of a starving artist and always a career, you know, fine dining server in Somalia. And so when COVID happened, she was laid off and I said, Laura, are you okay? <laughs> you know, like checking in with her, like, what are you doing? How are you coping? I don't know that I can afford a whole lot right now, but I could use some help. My business is growing. You are one of, you're my first call. Like I have seen what you've done with your house. I know your talents and your skills and your incredible ability to use pattern play and color dynamically in such powerful ways. I just think there's a world for you in this business in remodeling and in design and to be able to see those skills used on such a large canvas. And so she came and joined me. And then as we grow, grew, we also uh, had another friend, Minda, who is an award-winning pastry chef. And she's been on like Zoe Bakes and like, she's like an incredible force of nature. And similarly, she wasn't laid off, but she was kind of like hanging on by a thread in the yeah. restaurant industry, right? And it was really touch and go and pretty stressful for the situation she was managing as a general manager. Um, and anyway, I saw, actually it was like a picture she put up online or something after I had seen her of a birthday cake she made for her mom, because of course it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. <laughs> and I was like, damn it, Minda, like you need to come and work for me. Like your skill is so profound and you're putting all of this energy into these incredible desserts. And that's not to be diminished, but man, put that same creative force into a home and yeah. let it be like an explosion of your skill, you know? Yeah. And so she's our other designer on staff. And it's just incredible to see these powerful women who are, have so much energy and so much passion and vision and to be able to put it into a, frankly, an industry that has a budget. And that's true. Like a lot of people don't value art. Some people do, but a lot of people don't. And so yeah. if you're an artist, you've always thought of yourself as an artist. If you've always thought of yourself as a chef, right? Like these actually are skills, creative skills and professions that have a need and an absolute beautiful value in our society, but sometimes are industries that people struggle in. You know, they're, they're not high paying roles a lot of the time, or they're yeah. really grueling hours and they're demanding of your body and your physical work. Right. Yeah. And so to think differently about, is there a, a lateral move or an industry change where you still get to use a lot of that same skill and ability, but apply it in a new way. So, you know, Minda is designing kitchens for us and she had designed commercial kitchens before, but her experience as a chef, she's able to talk to our clients and say, if you want a chef's kitchen, this is what you want, you know, yeah. like, this is how you lay this space out because it's going to work well for you. It's going to be efficient, yeah. not only beautiful, and it's just exactly what you need to be able to host and entertain and maximize your use of the space. So anyway, there's a lot of incredible um, transfer of ability, I would say, that, that lends yeah. itself well. And the home building industry, remodeling industry is 
I mean, it's a, a very well-funded industry. We'll put it that way. And people, yeah. when they, when they make a decision to invest in their home, they're not thinking about paying an artist to commission an art, a piece of art. And they're not thinking about it as like a vanity move of hiring a chef to come and cater for them, right? Like they're thinking about renovating their kitchen and it's the thing that they've saved up for and they've dreamed for, you know, but the, it's it's an interesting thing, I guess. It's a little bit stunning to see like people make decisions differently when they're making a decision for their own home right. rather than like buying a cake or buying a piece of art. It's right. different. Yeah, I I love it. I love that you've got two of the women on your staff that come from that background, that creative side. And I, I hope that the listeners hear that and share that information so that people start looking in other in other locations and in, in other um, industries to find the women that will really succeed in this industry. And um, I something else you said that is something I have been um, trying to get the word out on as well is the um, restaurant industry, because I do think there are a lot of artists that work in the restaurant industry, but in general, I just think women who people, people who work in the restaurant industry, they like people, they like being on their feet. They want to work with their hands. They want to have interactions. These are all skill sets that we need in the industry. And if they knew how much more they could get paid working yes. in construction, then tending to that group of mm -hmm. works over there at that table. Like this is insane. Yes. So I just, I, I want the listeners to hear that. I want people to start looking outside of the box yeah. of where you think women in construction come from because they can have music degrees. They can yes. be artists and they can be cake builders. And I love that whole thing. And I, I just have really liked your entire story and I'm so glad that you shared it with us. And um, I hope that your first podcast experience was good. <laughs> and um, I hope that we get a chance to talk again sometime in the future. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Well, this has been a delight. If you know someone that could benefit from this particular episode, then share it with them. Or if you want to continue to learn about the untapped and underutilized resources that will take your business to the next level, then follow the podcast. You don't want to miss an episode where we discuss what you needed to hear. And lastly, there is a link in the show notes that will allow you to reach out to me directly if you want to accelerate that learning curve. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.